Thank you for listening to the preaching ministry of Oxford Baptist Church with our pastor, Andy Brown. We pray you'll be blessed as you apply these truths to your life. Let's pray together, shall we? Our God, we love you so much. Today, as we think about your goodness, we're reminded, Lord, that you love us. Nothing in this world can detract from the beauty and the awesome splendor of your name. No hurricane, no tempest, no storm. Father, in all of these things, you are setting our hope in something that's secure. Setting our hope even greater than the widest ocean and the deepest sea. Because, Lord, as we have been taught this week, you are greater than those things. Father, as we come today to this time of worship through your word, we pray, our God, that you would teach us, elevate our thoughts to something greater than ourselves. Teach us full obedience so that we, Lord God, can turn our hearts to praise You. We love You. We trust You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to ask you this morning, have you ever had a burning desire to meet someone? Have you ever had that desire that you just... Someone on this earth that you just really wanted to meet. I remember as a young boy desiring to meet a couple of people, writing a few letters. I wrote a letter one time to Billy Graham. I wanted to meet Billy Graham. I remember seeing him at the Georgia Dome when I was a young boy, him and Johnny Cash and June Carter Cash. I remember seeing them there. I wanted to meet Billy Graham. So I wrote him a letter. I got a personalized letter back from him denying my request, but I wanted to meet him. And a funny thing, another guy that I wanted to meet, I wanted to meet Charles Stanley. Well, I never got a letter back from Dr. Stanley. And for those of you who know my story, it's just uh, it's a little funny how things work out. But what is it in our hearts that drives us to want to go up to someone, shake their hands, and establish a relationship. Is there anyone you'd like to meet? Someone that you'd like to meet. Maybe you'd like to sit down with, have a cup of coffee, have a conversation with. What is it in you and us that drives us and makes us want to meet someone? You have your Bible here this morning. Take it and turn to Matthew chapter 6. Those of you who've been here a while, you Probably your Bible, I'm guessing, just falls open to Matthew 5 and 6. But go ahead and go there in Matthew chapter 6, as we will be looking for a little time today at the Lord's Prayer. Today, we're going to look at the first line of the prayer that the Lord gives us. We're going to read the whole prayer, but I want us to pay real close attention to the first line. Let's begin reading in verse 9. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. 
Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now go back to that first line. Our Father, let's read it together, all together. Let's say it together. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You know what that tells us? That tells us something. That tells us that there is someone far greater for us to know. There is someone far greater for us to have fellowship with than anyone that we could ever imagine. Who is it? It is the eternal, holy, majestic, all-powerful, uncontainable, indescribable, amazing God who is our Father. You know what He does? He bids us to come away with Him. I don't know what you've experienced in your life. Some of you maybe have experienced a lot. Some of us maybe just a little. But there is nothing sweeter. There is nothing more satisfying than for you to look up into the heavens. To look out at a storm. To look into troubled times. To look into a happy moment. You in the quiet of your soul for you to say, God is my Father. Now what does it mean to call God Father? You ever thought about that? There's some that they want to change the language and say, no, we're going to call Him the eternal being. By the way, if you're inclined to do that for whatever reason, don't call God the eternal being. You lessen everything when you do that. Why does the Bible teach us to call God Father? Listen carefully to me. By us declaring and calling God Father, we understand Him as the, listen carefully, the eternal antecedent. The eternal antecedent. That is, He is first. We were the other day thinking about, you know, my son, he wanted to think about Halloween and those kind of things and whether or not we were going to dress up, pick a theme and all that. You know, we're just talking in the family and he wanted to be Darth Vader and I wanted to be a Luke Skywalker. And then I looked at my son and I said, that means that you're my father. And, well, he was very confused, right? Because how can my son be my father? Anyway, but think about this. In other words, by us calling God Father, we are declaring that He is the eternal antecedent. He is first. And by us calling God Father, what do we do? We then have no choice but to humble ourselves before Him because He is greater, He is higher, and He is more to be desired than anything that your mind could even imagine. Now that sounds really good, doesn't it? Sort of a flowery way to talk, especially in this kind of place where we have nice stained glass and wonderful chandeliers. It's easy for us to say those kind of things. But I wonder if you believe this. I wonder if this is the way 
that you live. If someone were to come up to you and follow you for a couple of days, would they say that person is living for something beyond themselves? Not necessarily saying that they would know what it is. They'd have to probably have a conversation with you. But could other people see that you are living something for something beyond yourselves? I like the way that Andrew Murray wrote, and if you've never read any of Andrew Murray, you should, especially what he says about humility, uh, what he says about prayer. Those are good stuff. But Andrew Murray, he was a Scottish missionary to South Africa, Reformed Dutch, I believe it is, Scottish missionary to South Africa in the 1800s. This is the way he put it. Listen carefully, and this is on the screen for you. Listen to what he says about the prayer. There is something here that strikes us at once. While we ordinarily first bring our needs to God in prayer, then think of what belongs to God and His interest, the Master reverses the order. First, Thy name, Thy kingdom, Thy will. Then, give us, lead us, deliver us. The lesson is of more importance than we think, Murray says. In true worship, the Father must be first. In true worship, the Father must be all. Now listen to what he says next. The sooner I learn to forget myself in the desire that He may be glorified, the richer will the blessing be that prayer will bring to myself. No one ever loses by what he sacrifices to the Father. The sooner I learn to forget myself and the desire that He may be glorified, the richer will the blessing be that prayer will bring to myself. No one ever loses by what he sacrifices to the Father. Now, do you see the reversal, the great reversal? We don't start with our needs. Now, listen, listen. I know from myself, my needs are great. I'm guessing that you probably have a list as well of great needs. But here's the thing. We don't want to serve a God who can't handle our needs. We want a God who is greater than all of our needs, and so He teaches us to pray this way. You know why oftentimes I believe we run around in circles when we pray? Because we don't start the right way. We don't start with our Father. We start with my need. We know how self-centered people can be. You know why we know? Because we ourselves are self-centered. And that self-centeredness is really, it's common as a result of what the Bible calls the fall. And you know what the fall is. The the Bible paints a picture in Genesis 3 of, of Mankind, humanity, choosing to disregard God's good and instead pursue what we deemed as good. And here's the danger. Listen closely. Here's the danger. What if we pray for things that take us farther from desiring God? If God is the greatest, if He's more to be desired than anything that we could ever imagine, here's the danger that we have to face. This is why Jesus 
teaches us how to pray in so many verses before he even gets to the prayer. He doesn't just begin in verse 9 and say, hey, pray like this. He tells us how not to pray because there's a real danger in praying. Remember how Matthew chapter 6 starts. It starts with this word, beware, beware. And this is why it's dangerous because what if when we pray, the things that we pray for take us further from desiring God? What if our asking God for Him to act in our lives is motivated by pursuing our purposes instead of His purposes? Our whole lives are to be spent in destroying the distinction between our purpose and His purpose until every beat of our heart is in step with what He wills. And so look where the prayer starts. Look at where it starts. What's it say? Our Father. Let me tell you something that's really neat. When we see that word before us, our Father, that our Father is not simply the place where we start. It's the goal for where we want to end up. It's not just the place where we start. It's the goal for which we're striving for. Now let's be honest this morning. Hopefully you feel this. Do you feel the weight of calling God Father? Some think that calling God Father is disrespectful. Some say, how could we call God Father? God is lofty, majestic, transcendent, holy. He's high. How could you call God Father? Father, you mean to tell me that this God whom you describe as holy, majestic, all these things, you mean to tell me that to call Him in an intimate term like Father? And to which you and I would reply, I know it's really unbelievable, isn't it? And we wouldn't dare to even think about calling God this way unless Jesus, who is the eternal Son from the Father, taught us. There are three truths that I want us to explore from this passage. and All about this call to start our praying with our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And and I hope that you're uh, writing notes today because they're going to be on the screen. But I want you to learn these together because these are are really, really good. Right from the Word, God has given us these things. So, number one, calling God our Father, number one, is established by His grace. For us to call God Father, It's established by His grace. Now think about it. This prayer is very exclusive. Even though it says our, it's not inclusive. It's exclusive. Look at the Bible. God isn't referred to here as the Father. Not here. He's our Father. Do you see the difference? Not the Father. Our Father. Not everyone is a child of God. Not everyone is a child of God. You say, what do you mean by that? Everyone is created by God. God is generous to everyone. But only those who are in the Son are sons and daughters of God. The Bible tells a story all throughout that there are two families in this world. There are the seed of the serpent in the language of Genesis and the seed of the woman. They are the sons of the devil and the sons of God. 
Jesus one time in Mark, I believe it, it was talking to the Pharisees. These are Pharisees. They know, they've memorized Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They've memorized those books. You know what Jesus looks at them and says? You are of your father, the devil. So what does this tell us? It tells us that not everyone are children of God. And I hope that you won't disregard your right that God's given you in the Son by being called a son or daughter of Him. So easily by just to say, well, everyone's a child of God. No, they're not. Everyone's created by God. Everyone, I believe, has the capacity for a relationship with God. But not everyone is in a relationship with God. Everyone is born into one family. But the only way to get into the family of God is by being born again. This is why Jesus comes to Nicodemus and says, you must be born again. Everyone was born into darkness, but the twice born have been transferred from darkness to light. All were born dead in trespasses and sins, but those who believe, they're the ones who are alive in Christ. All were born disobedient and subject to wrath. But those who have been born again are now the objects of God's love, His affection. And now what do we do? As the objects of His love and affection, we now walk by faith and obedience. Here's the bottom line. Only those whom He calls as His own can call Him as their own. And what do we call Him? Our Father. Some say that this was a new idea that Jesus was saying. He was mentioning this, calling God Father. This is something entirely new. This is why it took so many people by surprise. To which I just simply say that if people would have been reading their Bible closely, they, they may have gotten this, though probably not. But it's in the Bible. This idea of, of calling God Father. This is so cool. I hope that you're paying attention. The first time that we see God referred to as Father is in Exodus. Now, for those of you who know something about the Bible, and even if you don't, let me tell you, Exodus is the archetypal salvation story of the Old Testament. The people of God who were promised an inheritance. Remember Genesis chapter 12? I'm going to bless you, multiply you, give you land, make your seeds as numerous as the stars of the sea. Well, those people are now enslaved. And Read Genesis closely and you'll see that God told Abraham that they were going to be down to Egypt. And so, the people of God who were promised an inheritance for slaves under Egypt. And so guess what God did for them? He sent a Savior named Moses. Now does that sound familiar of any other story in the Bible? When God calls Moses to Pharaoh, He tells them to say this. Listen to what He tells Moses to tell Pharaoh. This is Exodus 4. Thus saith the Lord. Listen to this. Israel is my first born son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. And so when Jesus here, remember he's already been baptized. He's already gone to the banks of the Jordan or the river and he's already been baptized into the waters just as the children of Israel were baptized into the waters as they went through the Jordan. Jesus has gone to the Jordan. He's already been baptized. Then He comes out and starts His ministry. And the first thing that He does, He climbs up on a mountain just like what Moses did when He gave the Ten Commandments. And then what's He doing? He's saying, Our Father. You know what He's doing? He's calling our minds back to what He's already said 
Because he, he is the Word of God. He's never going to contradict the Word of God. He is the Word of God. And what's He saying? He is saying, He is letting we who were slaves to sin know that a new exodus is coming whereby we will now be transferred from darkness to light. We will be adopted into the family of God. We who were once slaves will now be called sons. That's what He's saying. Now, there are two other echoes in Scripture I want to call your attention to this morning. And really, both of those echoes, they really tell the same story. The first is in 2 Samuel 7, 14. And if you like writing in your Bible, let me say this. 2 Samuel 7 should be one of those pages in your Bible that has a little more ink than the others. Because 2 Samuel 7 is one of those passages that God makes a covenant with David. And listen to what He says to David. Listen close. When your days are fulfilled, you lie down with your fathers. I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. Now, wait, stop just a minute. Think about what's going on here. And I can't talk too much about it because we don't have time. But let me just say this. Here David is. God's coming to him and he's making a promise. David, when you die, you're not just going to be worm food, man. I've got a plan. I've got a purpose. Right now, as you're living, I'm going to give you hope. When your days are fulfilled, I'm going to raise up your offspring and I'm going to establish His kingdom. And then listen to what He says. He shall build a house for me and I will establish the throne of His kingdom forever. Now listen to this part. Don't miss this. And I will be to Him a father and He will be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love, listen to this next part, my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Think about that. Here's sonship. And then we have this idea of this son having to be disciplined because of the iniquities of others. Does anything sound familiar to you? Now, this covenant is so influential in 2 Samuel because it directs the, the portion of the whole Bible from that moment forward. Everything prior to that had been building up to this. And now everything after this builds up to this. This is why Matthew and Luke start with connecting Jesus with David connecting Jesus with Adam. This is why it starts here. Because all along the way, as we're reading the Bible, we're looking for a Savior. But here's what we know. We know that it wasn't Moses. We know that it wasn't David. Here's what we do know. It will be a son of David who will be the Son of God. This Son will enable many to become sons of God. And that hope of becoming a Son of God is the entire hope of every page that fills Scripture. Listen, just for a moment. After David wrote, of course, you have these other guys that they come. Israel goes and they become wicked. And God's always holding this promise before them, saying that there's a path in which you are going down right now. And the path you're going down is going to evoke judgment and wrath upon you. And so God's always calling His people back to remember His promise. And you know the way that He does that? He sends prophets to them. And the message of the prophets is always the same. 
Don't lean on your own understandings, but trust God. Listen to one, Isaiah. Listen to what he says in chapter 55. This is the the invocation from the Lord as He invites us. Listen to what He says. And and the end is what you really need to pay attention to. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. And here's the absurdity of it. He says, here, you have this invitation to come. And then the prophet says, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And your labor for that which doesn't satisfy. Why would you go out and call anyone else Father when God is called Father? He says, listen diligently to me and eat what is good. Delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your souls may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant. Now, pay attention to the last part. My steadfast love, sure, for David. Now, David, by the time Isaiah writes, David's dust. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the son of David who's going to come. The steadfast love of God is expressed another way with one word. It's a five-letter word. It begins with G. Do you know what it is? Grace. This is why we can't so easily say God is the Father of all. While God may show mercy to everyone, He is not gracious. He does not bestow on everyone the riches that have been won for us in Christ at Christ's expense. Only those who are His sons are the recipients of His grace. Only those adopted into the family get to call God Abba. Get to call God Daddy. Number two. Calling God our Father is, and this is a good one, secured by the everlasting ministry of the Son. Now, who is Jesus? Who is it that's teaching us to pray here? Who is it? It's Jesus. And who is Jesus? We just had our foundations membership class where we had four prospective new members that we'll present to the church prayerfully in the next few weeks. We just talked about this. Who is Jesus? He is the eternal Son of the Father. But how did He come to us? He came to us by without ceasing to be what He was, He became what He was not. Why did He come? To make us as He is. So who is Jesus? He is the Son of the Father. We are in Christ. We are sons and daughters of God. Paul said it this way. He said that us becoming sons and daughters is the very reason that God sent His Son. Listen, Galatians 4. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son. Born of a woman. Born under the law. Underscore that. To redeem those who were under the law. So that we might receive adoption as sons. And here's the next line. Listen, it's good. Because you are sons. This is not a right that everyone has. It's only those who are children of God. Only those who are sons and daughters of God. This is what you now get to do. 
because you are sons, God sends the Spirit of His Son into your hearts so that He can teach you to cry, Abba, Father. Daddy, you get to cry out to God in the most intimate terms available. You get to call Him God. Then look at what He says. Again, connecting back to Exodus. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if you are a son, then you are an heir through God. You know what that means? It means all the riches of Christ are now yours in Him. That's pretty good. I think there's only one amen, but that's okay. You may be amen in your heart. If not, think about it. All the riches of Christ, all the riches of God are now yours in Christ. You know what that means? You get to call Him Daddy. We are now His family. Not that we become God's. Little G, that's heresy. That's damnable heresy. But we are now God's. Apostrophe S. We belong to Him. And He belongs to us. Look at this prayer. This prayer, if you read it closely, it, I feel it just churning my heart, pulling me in every which at once. We are meant to be overwhelmed by this idea that God is majestic, transcendent, holy. We're at once to be overwhelmed by this. And at the same time, just when we think that we were going to be annihilated and there's nothing left of us, we're meant to feel the warmth of how near God is. God is transcendent. But not so far removed that He's unknowable. He's close. Now, transcendent, that's, that's a four-letter word, right? That sounds like preacher talk, doesn't it? What, transcendence, what do you mean transcendence? Here's what it means. By saying that God is transcendent, we're referring to the heights of His majesty. He is high, lifted up, greatly to be praised. His transcendence is so great that it will never be fully overcome. Meaning that there will always be this distinction between Him and us. We'll never become like He is fully. We'll never be God's. We'll belong to Him. He is God. He is the wonderful Creator. We are human. We are His creatures. And God made us, not cats, dogs, birds or trees, He made us with the capacity to have a relationship with Him. And this is the mind-blowing part of the Gospel. Us. We who were slaves. He called us to be His sons. Our story is a story of redemption. We forfeited. The story of us is that we forfeited fellowship with God for something else. And if you see how absolutely absurd forfeiting fellowship with God is, then that means that you get it. Not even our own sinfulness could stop Him from loving us. Not even our own sinfulness could thwart the purposes of God for us. And so you know what He did? He sent the Son to save us. Let's try this. Maybe this will make more sense. Imagine in your mind a blank white piece of paper. You got it? Now, it's vertical. Now turn it horizontally. Alright, there you go. On the left side, take your little marker or your pen, pencil, whatever. And write the letters G 
O-D. Some of you aren't doing it. Do do it in your mind. G-O-D. Now, we know what that spells, right? God. Now, we know that when we say God, it's not just a combination of those letters. It stands for His person. It stands for His character. It stands for all that He is. Alright, you've got that written. Now, on the other side, on the farthest opposite side of the page, write something else. U-S. Or maybe, if you'd like to, you can write M-E. So on the left we have God, and on the right we have us. What's in between? There's this big, large gap of white. Now, that gap of white is what separates us from God. Now that gap, even though you can't see it, I want to show it to you, that gap is what's called an ontological separation. What does that mean? You're talking like a preacher again. What does that mean? It means that when we think about God and us, we're not even dealing with the same terms. We're not comparing apples and oranges here. We're talking about things that are comparable to things that are incomparable. Now here's where it gets good. I hope you're listening. We were created to have fellowship with God. Here's God. Here's us. Here's this big divide. How can this be? How can one who is infinite have fellowship with one who is finite? How can imperfect have fellowship with imperfection? How can we bridge this divide? We can't get to where He is. We're incapable. He has to condescend to us. He has to break through the separation. And this is what He's done in sending the Son. We couldn't go to where He was. He came to us. This is why... Philippians says what it says in Philippians 2.6. and It says this, Jesus, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used for His own advantage. Instead, He emptied Himself, assuming the form of a slave, taking the likeness of men. When He had come as a man in His external form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Why did He do that? So that He could become like us, so that He could then take us and make us as He is. Here's the good news of the Gospel. Don't miss this. This is, this is the breathtaking, awe-inspiring wow of the Gospel. Listen carefully. God doesn't want you to give Him your life. Your life is messed up. My life is a wreck. He doesn't want us to give Him our lives. You know what He wants to do? He wants to give us His life. That's the breathtaking, awe-inspiring part of the Gospel. And He gives us His life by uniting us to Himself and the Son. And then He takes His Holy Spirit and He the language is He pours it into our hearts. And you know what we do with that? We then cry, Abba, Father. We didn't know how to say that. We were incapable of saying that. But now we get to, because of the ministry that He has brought us into, we get to say in the most intimate terms, God, You are mine. And I'm Yours. You see how He overcame what separates us from Him? We couldn't go to where He was, so He came to us. And it gets better. This is the part that gives me, every time I think about it, Chills run down the back of my neck. And here it is. 
once he decided to take on flesh, son. It was a decision to never lay that flesh down again. And as long as he has flesh, our salvation is secure. His ministry for us is a ministry that will continue forever. Listen to what Hebrews says. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Why did he come out of the tomb with a body? So that he could save everything that we are. Why did He come out of the tomb in a body? So that He could save us. Listen to what else it says. Consequently, He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him. Listen, since He always lives to make intercession for them. As long as He has flesh, our flesh is secure. The incarnation is forever. We are saved as long as He has flesh. And I don't think that there's anyone who said this more beautifully than a lady by the name of Charity Bancroft. Listen to the way she put it. You know this. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest. What's His name? Love. Who ever lives Plead for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. One with himself. I cannot die. My soul is purchased. By His blood, my life is hid with Christ on high. With Christ my Savior and my God. Thirdly, this morning, and we have to hurry, calling God our Father is established by His grace, secured by the ministry of His Son, and number three, advanced by the Spirit's power. Now look at this word. The last phrase of the opening line. What's it say? Hallowed be thy name. What on earth does hallowed mean? Now that's a word that's fallen out of our vocabulary. And that's probably a sermon for another day, the reason, but that's we'll have to save that one. But I like the way the Christian Standard Bible translates this. It says, Your name be honored as holy. When you and I pray, our God, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, we're not praying as if God's name isn't holy. It is. What we're praying for, what we're trying to receive as we pray, is that we will learn in all that we do to honor His name that's holy. This is the highest obtainable reality that the whole universe can realize and delight in having and one day will have. All of creation, the seas, the earth, 
stars, everyone in between. We'll all have an eternal song to sing. You know what it is? Holy, holy, holy. Hallowed be the name. We're not there yet. You're probably this week going to be tempted to sin. I can probably guarantee it. You're probably going to have to fight back against something that says His name is not holy. But Jesus teaches us right now to pray. Honor your name as holy. What that is? That's fighting words. This is not just a call for peace. This Jesus is calling us into a revolution that He is bringing to this earth. These are fighting words. We carry these words with us into this field filled with sin, injustice, danger, despair, death. And we cry out with our lives as we live holy. And we cry out as we see sin and injustice and despair and death in our world. We hold the banner high because He is Abba Father. And we say, Hallowed be Thy name. The hallowing of God's name is not safe. This is costly. But unless you and I are dedicated to the hallowing of God's name, there is no reason for us to even look at the rest of the prayer. No reason. Because the hallowing of God's name is the only thing that will remain because there is no one higher, there is no one greater, there is no one like our Father who art in heaven whose name is holy. Do you see what Jesus has done here? Just in the first line. You know what He's done? He's let us know that as we walk through this earth, we now have something to believe in. Someone to love. And a cause to serve. That's what He's done. He's taken us from our circumstances that are so self-centered and so insecure. And He said, hey, have something to anchor your soul. Better yet, have someone to anchor your soul. Our Father who art in heaven. You see you see what Jesus did? He told us. Who is He? He's the Son. He told us to call Him in the same way that He calls Him. There's no greater security than that. Because you know what the Father did? Jesus cried out on the cross. Remember? He stretched out between two thieves dying for the sin of the world. My sins and your sins. What's He say? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And guess what happened? Did God forsake the Son? No. Three days later, what happened? Jesus came from death. Life. And then He teaches us. He tells us, pray this way. This God will never forsake you. He will never abandon you. He will never let you down. He is holy. Instead, what He'll do, He'll lift you up to the heights of His glory. You see what He's done? He's directed our path with laser-like focus to give us something to believe in, someone to love, and a cause to serve our Father who art in heaven. Let's pray together. Father, we love You. Oh, Oh, and how flippantly we just say, Father, we love You. We wouldn't even know to call You that unless it was for Jesus. I wonder today, Lord, if there's someone here today who needs to know You in the intimate way that You've prescribed for us.
Maybe there's someone here today, oh God, who feels the weight of their sin crushing them. May you reveal to them that you are a God who is more ready to forgive than they are even to ask for forgiveness. And would you, Lord God, assure them that you love your own with a steadfast, compassionate love, so much so that we get to call you the infinite God, Daddy. Father, if there's one here who hasn't done that before, may today be the first day. May they follow you with what you say next in obedience to the waters of baptism and becoming a member of this church. Father, maybe there's some who have grown cold in their love for you. May they know to this morning that your love has not grown cold for them. You love them like you loved your own son. Father, assure us today that you are our God, our Father, who art in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Teach us to pray that and to believe it. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people say, We pray God will use this message for His glory in your life. If you would like more information, please feel free to contact us at info at OxfordBaptistChurch.com. Oxford Baptist Church is located in Oxford, Georgia. If you're close, we'd love to meet you.